Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Awesome. I heard someone's doing awesome, so that's good. Speaking of awesome, it would be awesome if we scoot in a bit. Um, there's some people coming in, and uh, what are the words here? Let's see. If we just scoot in, and uh, as people are trying to get into service, um, you don't have to snuggle up or anything. You just scoot in and find a seat. That could be helpful for somebody. So, awesome. We're like playing musical chairs right at the beginning. This is great. No one's really moving, but that's okay. All right. So, um, like I said, I'm Steve. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I help with Give It Away, and I'm awkward. You're welcome. And uh, getting to the topic at hand, we are in the book of Acts. And so, if you haven't been with us in a while, um, we've been in Acts, and we've doing, been doing a couple different things here. We were talking about the message, the mission, and now we're talking about method. And there's just a couple uh, weekends left. So this weekend and next weekend will be the last weekend for this series. So if you've missed any of that, please go online and check it out. And we've been hand- we handed out journals and uh, Bible reading plans around this. So hopefully you've been able to engage in that as we've been jumping around Acts a little bit through, through this series. So today, though, we're going to focus our conversation on prayer, okay? Specifically on dependent prayer. And so when you read through Acts, it's pretty clear that the entire book is about the working of or the acts of the Holy Spirit, um, but, but working through God's people, in particular through dependency on prayer. And so when you look through the Acts, you actually will see this dependency that the, the early church and the followers of Jesus have on prayer. Even compared to any of the gospel accounts, the book of Acts mentions prayer in some way, some direct way, about 32 times it occurs. Um, compared to 19 times in Luke, 12 times in Mark, and 10 times in Matthew, and 5 times in John. So prayer is definitely a big highlight of uh, the book of Acts. And so it makes a ton of sense then, towards the beginning of Acts, what we see that the early church was devoted to. And here's what they were devoted to. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And in a form of prayer, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so prayer was a big priority. It was a devotion that they had. And so as we're considering this topic then on dependent prayer, I want to have us internalize this question, okay? So here's the question. What do we often depend on? What are the things that we depend on in our life? What are we depending on these days? Who or what are the things that we depend on? Um, The word dependent, it just simply means contingent on or determined by. So put another way. When we go about our everyday lives, when we experience the pressures of this world, when we think about the requests that we have, the things that we're seeking after, what is contingent on the answers to those things? What are those things determined by? And so for the follower of Jesus, we can say, hopefully we can say, that our life choices are contingent or determined by the leading of the Spirit, communicated to and from the Lord through prayer, through a dependency on prayer. But if you're like me, these days, I, I tend to depend on a lot of things. I, I tend to be dependent on automated things, things that are like automated or calculated or kind of formulaic type of things. Things are like, if I do this, then this result will happen. I tend to depend on those kind of things. And if we have that mentality, when we have that kind of mentality, what we ultimately tend to do is really depend on ourselves. We tend to depend on ourselves. 
For example, okay, I depend on Apple Maps to take me literally anywhere, okay, even when Apple Maps was bad. And so just ask my wife, I have really bad direction, okay? Even when I go home today, after this, I'm going to put my direction to home in Apple Maps. I know how to get home, but it's just comforting to me, okay? I depend on this stuff. And by the way, if we're ever in conversation and you're giving me directions somewhere, and, and if I ever say, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about, I'm lying to you. you got to call me out, okay? I, I, do, I don't do directions, okay? And so I depend on my Apple Maps. I depend on my calendar. If I don't put something on my calendar, it's not going to happen. If I forget to look at my calendar, the thing that should have happened uh, probably won't happen. And so I depend on those things. Uh, maybe for some of us, we depend on uh, automatic bank withdrawals to pay our bills. How would they get paid otherwise? You know? And so we depend on these automated things. And in doing that, we simultaneously depend on ourselves as much as we depend on these automated systems and structures at our disposal. I even tried to do this with my sermon this weekend. Okay, I'm not lying to you. So check this out. This is going to get nerdy for a little bit here. You guys good with that? Do we have any nerds in the room? Okay. All right. This section here. Good. Some of our pastors talk about sports. I like to talk about nerdy things. So um, bear with me. Okay. There's this thing called ChatGPT. Okay. It's a part of this thing called, oh, did someone say yes? I don't know. There's this, it's ChatGPT. It's this part of this thing called OpenAI. It's about optimizing language models for dialogue. And I just lost all of you. And that's okay. Check this out. Um, ChatGPT is basically like a smart, artificially intelligent database of knowledge that you input like any inquiry and it'll like spit back results to you. Okay? It's actually pretty fun. And so you should check it out sometime. It kind of reminds me of like AOL and Messenger. Is anybody 90s kids? Just me? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Good. Um, there was this thing. This is really going to lose you, but I got to say it anyways, because I think it's funny. Um, there was this thing called Smarter Child on AIM. Anybody? Okay. Good. All right. Uh, the two of you are still with me. And so basically, you would just like, it was a messaging thing on the internet, and you would just like talk to it, and it would talk back to you. And it was really cool. It was a bot. Google it. I don't know. But let me show you an example, okay, so we can catch you up here. Here's an example that actually happened. I got on ChatGPT. That's me and my son right there. And so I typed in this inquiry, okay? I said, hey, ChatGPT, I need a 30-minute sermon surveying all the ways that prayer shows up through the New Testament book of Acts. I was like, this is going to be great. This thing is going to write my sermon for me. And it did. And so check it out. Here was its response. Um, it, it's like you, you type that, and it just like types back to you. So this is the full extent of that. And here's what it said. Prayer is a significant theme throughout the New Testament book of Acts. Here are a few examples of how prayer is depicted in the book. And so here's my six points. Ready? Uh, one, the early church prayed together regularly for guidance and strength. Acts. Uh, two, Peter and John were arrested and put on trial for preaching about Jesus, and the church prayed for their release and protection. Number three, the apostle Paul frequently prayed for churches uh, he established and for the people that he preached to. Number four, the apostles and other believers in Jerusalem often gathered to pray, both in the temple and in private homes. Five, throughout the book, prayer is often accompanied by the laying on of hands as a sign of the transfer of the Holy Spirit or for healing. And then six, the book of Acts ends with the Apostle Paul in prison, yet still preaching and teaching about Jesus to the people. He is frequently depicted as a man of prayer, and his life in the prison was one of constant prayer. In short, prayer is depicted as an integral part of the early church life and practice. It is depicted as a source of guidance, strength, protection and healing, as well as a way to connect with God and seek his will. Amen. This is so good. All right. Um, I wish that was the end of it. But um, I, I did another inquiry, and it's not terrible, actually. It's not too bad. I mean, it's not too bad. Yeah, thumbs up, thumbs down. 
It's all right. We could roll with that. Um, I, I, I can't say that I didn't use some of this stuff to, for my actual sermon. Um, there was this other inquiry. I was like, all right, I got to get really specific. And I was like, give me a 2,800-word account transcription of like all the occurrences. And it was pretty cool. And actually, it was like, that's a long inquiry. Here you go. And I, I should have used that. But here we are, talking about other things. So what's the point? I think it's hilarious. That's the point. But the other point is this. That as people, um, we tend to do everything that we, in our power, to depend on something else that will spit out the results that we want, okay, like this. And so we, we tend to depend on these things, these automated things. And we have a tremendous dependency oftentimes, and maybe the wrong things, oftentimes we, we are dependent on like formulaic kind of things that will just give us the result with as little effort as possible. We've kind of grown accustomed to that with technology and things like that. And so we, we know that, man, if I do this, I'll get these results. And we like that. We like that a lot. But then we look at something like prayer. And prayer, it is not a formula at all. We can't just input prayer to the Lord and say, this is what's going to happen. Okay? It doesn't work that way. If you've prayed for any amount of time, sometimes our requests are answered. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes we may never get the answer. And so there's no automation. We can't use God in that way. And so we tend to get frustrated with prayer. We tend to forget about prayer. We tend to not depend on prayer. And instead, maybe we would depend on other things that maybe get the results that we want. We rely a lot on technology to accommodate our lives and the things that we think that will make, um, make us like, be better people or do the things that we want, Okay. Unless, of course, it's like a last resort. Sometimes we use prayer as a last resort. Sometimes we say, well, I'll pray because I'm desperate. I tried everything, and now I'll pray. And that's like the kind of tendency that we often have, which is not normative of the follower of Jesus. It's not the way that Jesus has modeled for us. Here's a book I'm going to reference, and it's by a guy named Tyler Staten. And it's this book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. You should order it right now. It's really good. And so here's something to this topic. He says that we try to import prayer into our hurried lives, treating the symptoms but avoiding the full detox, and the result is lip service to God, while effortlessly conforming to culture remains the one true God we worship. We can keep up the illusion, ignore the truth, as long as we never stop moving. Man, that was, that was convicting to me, just reading this book. It was convicting because I'm like, man, this is so true. Like, I, I tend to just conform to these cultural things instead of, like, uh, stopping and pausing and being dependent on our Lord, on Jesus in prayer. For the early church especially, prayer wasn't just lip service to God. It wasn't some math equation that if you prayed this, then this will happen every time. It wasn't just for the one or two very spiritual people, probably older people in the church, that had the time to close their eyes and say these words out loud before most people had their morning coffee. It's not that. Prayer was and is the way that we communicate with the living God who has and wants to have a relationship with his people, with his church. And it's what the apostles and the disciples and the early church devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to prayer. It is the communicative means through which the living God has, is, and will provide salvation, restoration, and healing, and so much more. And honestly, I was, when I was preparing for this sermon, I, I did more than just chat GPT to, pre to prepare, I promise. But I did find that there's 32 occurrences of prayer in the book of Acts. So I, said, I decided to go through each of those occurrences. I sat down and I was like, I'm going to go through all of these. I'm going to reread all the context 
And I, and I wrote down like one to two sentence summary of what was happening, happening in those contexts. And at first, it was just like doing research. I was just like, oh, this is just what I got to do to prepare my sermon, right? But I really felt like the Lord met me there in that moment and then that time. I found myself like worshiping God through tears and praising him, literally, like at the Panera Bread in Wadsworth. So if you were there that day, I, I was crying, okay? Um, so that's like what was happening as I was preparing for this message. And I just was like, man, I just want to share that. Um, I don't often get to like share like our, how we prepare for sermons and stuff like that, but it was a beautiful moment, and I want to share that with you a little bit. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, it's me, so we normally do different things. Um, but I want to take you through just like a sampling. I don't think it'll be too far out. I just want to take you through a sampling of passages like I went through. And I'm not going to have it all up on the screen. I'm going to ask you to like get a real Bible. So we have Bibles underneath the chairs. If you have a Bible, grab it. We're going to be in Acts 6, and then we're going to be in Acts 7, and then 8, and then 9, and then 16, and then 28. And I think that's it. So we're just going to go through a few of these occurrences with like a fresh vision in mind of like, what's happening here? Oh, this was fueled by prayer. And so that's how I want us to focus on this. So let's head there, and I'll have some things that we'll talk about um, after each. So get there. I just feel like I should pray for us. So Lord, thank you, God, for, um, for this book of Acts. Thank you, God, for the time that, um, that, that you spent with me and met with me and uh, even at Wadsworth Panera Bread and just went through this exercise with a new lens of seeing that, wow, uh, your church, your people, when, when they're dependent on prayer and when they're praying to you, some crazy, awesome, beautiful things happen. God, would you reveal those things to us? Would you give us that spark of passion to see what you are doing in and through your church and your people um, through this communicative means of prayer? I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so to start off, chapter 6. Of Acts, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men among, from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, and I'm just going to read this fast because that's how you do it when you don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And then what happened? So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. See what's happening here? These apostles, they, they would never neglect the ministry of the word and of prayer. They're like, we see this need, and I know there's a need, but we have to keep praying. That's our ministry. We have to do We cannot neglect that. We can't neglect the ministry of the word and of prayer. So what are we going to do? We're going to find leaders in this way. Well, how are they finding leaders? Are they full of the Spirit? Are you praying? And that's how they found it. Their deciding factor was who's full of Spirit and who's ready to serve and how are we praying over these people and affirming them that way. These guys were dependent on prayer. Head over to chapter 7 here. It might just be just a page away for you. Verse 51. 
Same guy that we were just talking about, Stephen, okay? He's doing this thing, he's doing these speeches, and he's getting mad at these people. So he says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You were just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. And so this topic of submission and benefit, what do we see here? We see this speech, this Stephen is like sharing the gospel with these people. They don't like what's happening. And so they start to murder him. They start to stone him. And so what does he do? How does he respond? Like most of us would, I, I pray that that's true. And I pray that we would never find ourselves in that situation, uh, although that, might, that, that happens in the world. It really does. And it might be increasingly happening uh, in our in the world. I'm not sure, but I pray that doesn't happen to us. But I also pray that if that kind of persecution does happen to us, that we would have the same response as Stephen. That we would think, man, I'm gonna pray. Like, Lord, everything I have is yours. Like, receive my spirit, Lord. That's his prayer. Not only that, but on his dying breath, he's crying out again on his knees to the Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Even on his dying breath, it's for the benefit of others that he's praying. He would be so glad to see Jesus, but so concerned that others would see him as well. This man depended on prayer to the end of his life. Chapter eight, starting in verse nine. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and that all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. And they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part to share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. 
Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And after they had proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. What we see here, and, and we don't see this every, in every occurrence of the scriptures, but what I want to point out is that salvation isn't just simply head knowledge, okay? It's also not just experiential either. But what we're saying here, what we're seeing here, and without so much debate, because we could debate some stuff in here, what we see is that prayer was their priority, and prayer brought on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to these believers. So much so that it's not this guy Simon, he totally missed it. He thought that it was the hands that was doing this work. But these guys prayed for these guys first. The dependency on prayer is what happened to receive the Holy Spirit there. And then we see that it offered repentance too. And so Peter said, your heart's wrong. Pray. Pray to God. He didn't condemn him. Uh, it does seem kind of condemning, but he's like, man, you got to repent of this. Your heart, you got it all wrong. What should you do? You should pray that the Lord would change your heart. Nothing else is going to change your heart. Pray that this would happen. And he's like, well, why don't you pray for me? And so that's what he did. Acts 9. Let's go over to Acts 9 here. See another example. So now in Acts 9 and verse 36, they find themselves in Joppa. So in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Not sure why they tell us that, but there it is. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented, to her, presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time in a with a tanner named Simon. And so what do we see here? We see a miracle happening. Not by the hand of Peter, but because of his prayers, because of his dependency on prayer. This person is clearly dead for some time, yet through prayer, this person is made alive again. And that is a miraculous work only of prayer. Not of modern medicine, not of other things that they probably tried. He's praying asking the Lord to do this work. And the, the other miracle is this. Many people believed in the Lord because of this. Because of this dependency on prayer, because of this miraculous thing that the Lord did, many people came to believe. Acts 16. A few more pages over. You guys hear that? Bibles, that's pretty cool. All right, um, here we go. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. 
Paul and Silas are in prison for preaching the gospel again. So at about midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns. I don't know if that's the thing I'd be doing in prison, but they're doing it. They're praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners, they're listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his entire household. And so we see this idea of rescue and salvation, not because these guys are awesome and super spiritual, because they're praying and praising God in a desperate situation. This isn't an act of chance or coincidence that this earthquake just all of a sudden happened. It's the power of prayer. These guys are in a desperate situation. What do they decide to do? They decide instead of bickering or being mad about their situation, though I'm sure they would be, they decided to pray. And everybody was hearing them pray to the one true God. And their chains came loose. And then again, what did it bring? It didn't just bring them rescue from this jail and this prison situation, but it brought a whole household to the Lord, to salvation, because of the power of prayer. Last up, and again, there's tons more we can go through, but this will be the last one. It's chapter 28, the last chapter here. Chapter 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and, as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official on the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. And so what do we see here? This is in an interesting way. I, I, this, this might be a little bit of speculation, but their dependency on prayers brought out truth. I mean, everyone on this island thought that this guy was a god. Okay, They're like, he got bit by a viper. Our God thinks that he needs to die because he's doing something bad. Nothing happened. This guy's a God. That was their equation. 
And this is, again, this is honestly some speculation, but I guarantee that their prayers were being, as they were praying, pointing to the one true God, they realized that these aren't, this guy isn't God. The guy, the guy, the guy is praying to the real God. And so they had to have heard that or realized that. They were praying to the one true God. And furthermore, it brought out healing. It brought out healing. Paul's hand wasn't the thing that healed. It was his prayers. It said, after he prayed, this happened. And now don't get me wrong. We, <laughs> these were all a bunch of really great examples of prayer happening uh, and then something great happening. And that's not always the case, even in the scriptures. There are tons of instances um, throughout the whole scripture, some in Acts, where they prayed and nothing happened. But the point is, these guys were dependent on prayer. What else would they depend on? And so the, those are just some examples that we have. And I guarantee that the apostles, they were just praying constantly. How do I know that? Paul says so. He, says, he even tells us, he says, pray without ceasing. And so I'm guessing he said that because that's what they did. They prayed without ceasing. And so we also see examples of that in the scripture. The thing is, they were just resolute. They were dependent on the one that they knew could answer their prayers, whether that he would or not. And that dependency, it really reminds me of Daniel in the, in the Hebrew Bible. If you remember Daniel, he was a man that prayed with a rhythm, with a routine of like three times a day, uh, daily in the same spot in time. Even Daniel's friends, um, they got wind of that. They, when they responded to King Nebuchadnezzar, he was going to throw them into the fire, right? Even if, they, they said this, even if their God doesn't answer their prayers, I'm, I'm assuming they're praying that this wouldn't happen. Even if God wouldn't answer them, they would still follow. They would still be dependent on him. No other king, no other cultural practice, nothing but Jesus. So prayer is not always a yes. It's not some equation to figure out to get what you and me want. It just doesn't work that way. But we are called to be dependent on him in these ways. And so if prayer is anything at all, I love what Philip Yancey says, prayer is this. Prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. And so when we pray, when we're dependent on prayer as opposed to our own things, then the lens that we see the world changes. We start to see it in God's way. We start to pray in his will, not ours, be done. Sounds familiar. Through our prayers, through asking, listening, interceding, and being about the things that God is about, praying to him, with him, and for others, when we do that, that's how we see reality up against the one that we tend to create. And so the question that I hope we're all asking right now then is how do we pray? Okay, that's good. Be dependent. But, I mean, we, a lot of us have questions about that. Like, I get the prayer thing. I just don't know how to do it. Like, what do I do? And that's the question that I think, I think this is a valid question. The disciples asked Jesus that question. And Jesus, he told them what to do. It's what we call the Lord's Prayer. And so we can just end here and be good and be like, just go do it. That's what Jesus said, right? He said, you want to know how to pray? Okay, just go do it. Here's an example for you to follow. Just be dependent on prayer easy enough. And I realize I'm not naive. I know that that is not easy enough. <laughs> it's hard to do this. My guess is that our church could use more spiritual discipline. We don't like that word, but we need more spiritual discipline in this area. How do I know that? Because I do. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be a follower of Jesus. I'm supposed to be a pastor here. And I don't have it all together. None of us really do. I'm not perfect at prayer. I'm at times more dependent on myself than I am at prayer. And that convicts me. 
I don't pray perfectly. Not that there is a perfect way. But man, I, I need to be more dependent on prayer. That's how I know. I know because I talk to people. And you guys have the same problem as I do, a lot of you. Okay? And we talk about that. Man, I wish I would pray more and pray better. And that could sound very guilt-trippy. And I do not mean to come off of that at all. Because guilt is not a good motivator at all. That will not motivate you to have a rhythm and a practice of prayer. What will is having a biblical vision of prayer. And so we need that resoluteness, that dependency on Jesus in fresh ways from the scriptures. To catch the vision for prayer, I want to challenge you guys to go back through the scriptures again. Go back through those Acts things again and see, man, this is what happens when the church prays. I want to be dependent on that thing. Catch that vision. Go back through the scriptures with that mindset of like, what's happening here seems really cool. They're praying. That's what's happening. In fact, here's a list that you can use to help you. And so this is a list that I, uh, you can Google this or chat GPT, it'll come up. So um, all the ways that uh, there's prayer and acts, I I got this from some some guy who made this. And so um, you can go through this. You can make that your practice just to say, I'm going to go back through acts while we're still doing this as a church and read through with a fresh vision of this again in your own quiet time. What happened after the church prayed? Here's some things that happened. What did the church pray for? Here's some things they prayed for. When did the church pray? These are just some times that they prayed. And this is how the church prayed habitually. So you can take a picture of that, and you can use that. Some tools for you. Go back and see the wonder of prayer through even the book of Acts, or through the whole scripture. And so I hope this sparks some kind of passion uh, and interest for you in praying to the living God again. And so maybe that has, and that's good, but now what? Okay, how do we practically like do this? And I think Richard Foster said it brilliantly. He said, by praying, we learn to pray. I'm like, that seems pretty good. Okay, so if you've ever wondered, like, how do I pray? Just do it. I don't know. Try there, okay? And so just by doing it. And isn't that kind of Jesus' response anyways? When the disciples asked him, like I mentioned the Lord's Prayer, the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? And he's like, "Uh, well, here, like this, just pray. And he gave them that prayer. And that's not to be like a list of words to follow um, religiously or to repeat, though you can, but it's just a pattern to follow. It's just a method, um, something that Jesus modeled for us. He's just saying the same thing, like just try it, just go for it. And lastly, I'm going to give you an, uh, an old model of prayer that uh, Pastor Seth actually used uh, with some of our pastors recently, and it's super helpful and great. It's not perfect at all, but it's a way to help you get, get praying again, okay? And it's actually, it's pretty cool. It's called the Acts way of praying, and it has nothing to do with the book of Acts. So I don't know if that's confusing or helpful, but uh, it's just an acronym, okay? And so Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And so... That's just a way, a method that you could use. And so adoration, start by focusing on God first. Start by adoring him. Praise God for who he is. Tune your focus on God first. If you're like me, I typically just come right away with my requests. And I think that's fine. God can meet you there. But try this. Set your heart that way. Confession. Ask the Lord to search your heart. What's going on in my heart? This is from the psalmist. Like, God, search me and know me. Search any, unwic- any wickedness in my heart, what is unhealthy and not of the Spirit, and then name that thing, name that sin, and bring it to Jesus in confession, repentance and agreement, saying yes and amen to his will and his ways. Then thank him. Thank the Lord for all that he has done, is doing, and will continue to do, and then bring your request to him. 
either, either personal requests or in response to something going on uh, for yourself or for others' sake. And there you have it, a model of prayer to get you started or restarted in the area of prayer. If it's helpful, use it. If it's not, try something else, okay? The point is to become dependent on Jesus through prayer instead of our own uh, abilities and strengths and things like that. To make interacting with him, listening to him a daily rhythm that draws you and others closer to him. See, books and sermons, they're not gonna do that totally for you. It just can't. At some point, you just gotta commit to doing it. I like, I'm gonna quote this guy one more time because you're gonna order that book because it's really good, right? Praying like monks, living like fools. He says this, when it comes to prayer, you can read all the classics, study the revival stories, treasure up every biblical insight, you can memorize the facts, or you can live daily in relationship with God through prayer, insist on processing the extraordinary, the devastating, and all the mundanity in the middle with the eagerly listening Father. Guess which of these methods is more effective? Prayer is learned by discovery. It's learned by discovery, it's learned by doing. And so let's do that. And I'm gonna invite the band up and we're just gonna spend some time praying together. You just gotta do it. I, I just thought about sharing this example. I didn't share this at other, um, in other times, but it just reminds me of, I was thinking about this sermon the last month or so, and um, I was just thinking, like, I'm always thinking, how do I help my children like, get into prayer as well? How do we continue to model that for them? Turns out you just do it, okay? So that's what I did. I, I remember we were driving somewhere, and we were actually gonna be going bowling, and uh, I knew it was like a, a Friday and it was busy. This is so silly, but this is like as easy as it is, right? So we're like, it's just me and my son, Emery. We're driving there and I was like, in my head, I was like, man, Lord, I hope there's, I hope there's a bowling alley available for us. Like, I hope there's a lane available for us. And I was like, I'm gonna invite my son into that. It's kind of silly and whatever, but I'm just gonna invite him into that. So I said, hey, Emery, I'm kind of I'm anxious. I don't know if there's gonna be a lane because it's late and it's Friday, we didn't reserve a thing. And I was like, how about we just pray that you know, the Lord would let uh, Elaine open up for us. And he was like, okay. He had no idea what I was talking about. But so I was like, all right, so we do it. So we prayed together, okay? And it was a beautiful time just praying with my son. He's nine years old and we both prayed together. And then uh, we got there and it was a, there was a lane open. And I, and I didn't think of anything of it at the time. I was like, yes. And then I got in the car later after the whole thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, buddy, did you realize what just happened? And he was like kind of shocked because I just like kind of freaked out. And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, dude, we prayed that one of the lanes would be open, and it was. And he was like, and he literally said, he was like, praise God. I was like, yes. And so we prayed to God again, and that was beautiful. And so if you're wondering, like, how do you do this kind of thing? You just do it. It could be something silly or simple like that. It could be something even more um, contemplative than that. It can be whatever. God just wants you to depend on him in prayer. And so let's do it. And if you're new to prayer, and maybe you're, maybe you're new to prayer, maybe you're not yet a believer, um, something to note, okay? Just like my story, we don't just pray because something's wrong. We don't just pray because something bad is happening in our life. Um, we used to have our prayer team meet in, in a dark corner. Maybe that was the problem. But we would meet in a dark corner and we would pray. And a lot of the people that came uh, uh, just had things going wrong with them, which is totally fine. But I got this idea, this, it kind of just felt like, oh, I don't go to pray unless something's wrong with me. And that is not it at all. There's many ways to pray and many times that we should be praying for our lost friends. Prayers are just praising God, celebrating who he is. It doesn't have to just be all bad. And so there's many ways that we can pray. 
And I would hope that you would do that. We all pray, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you're new or believer, we, we all pray. And I would just encourage you to pray to the one living true God who we're gonna pray to now. Lord Jesus, God, thank you for who you are and what you have done in our lives. God, thank you. Well, I'm just gonna do this model here. God, we adore you. God, thank you for who you are, Jesus, rescuer and saver of, of us. God, the things that you did to come down to be with us, to live with, to be with us. God, to show us God through you. God, thank you. That's who you are. You are the rescuer. God, I just want to confess or, or even just, Lord, search our hearts right now in this idea of confession. God, search our hearts as, as, a, as a local body, as a church. God, as, as individuals, as a family, search our hearts, God. What, is, what are the things that are in us that need pruned out, that are not worthy of walking with you? God, would you show us those things? God, would you help us to see those things? Again, as a church, as a family, as individuals, God, would you do that work in us? God, as you do that, I pray that we would name that thing. We would bring it to light. We would confess it. God, if we've never even, if this is maybe the first time we're praying to you, Jesus, God, I pray that we would confess you, Jesus, as our Lord, even for the first time in confession in that way. God, we thank you. We thank you for all you've done in us and through us, in our church and through our church, in and through your church. And you're still living, you're still active, and you're still doing this today. Thank you for that. We praise you, God, and we thank you for the things that you will continue to do in and through us in our church. And God, we take our request to you, Lord. My request is that we would be a church that would be dependent on you, Jesus, would be dependent on praying and communicating and listening and hearing from you, God, for the sake of others, for the sake of the salvation of others, for the sake of our own uh, anxiety, our own things happening in our own life, God. I pray that whatever, whatever we do, that we would be dependent on you, that we would be people of prayer. God, do that work in us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.